This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Inspire yourself, inspire others, and smell great naturally with Inspire Bath deodorant sprays and lotions. We use them, we love them, and we think you will too. So just go to inspirebath.com. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey. And we have FBG Kristen. Hello. And Kristen, you and I were on this call today with Jax Mariash. She runs Stoked Coffee. She is an entrepreneur, but she's also an ultra runner and really more like an ultra, ultra runner. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about her interview today? I thought she was fascinating. Yeah, she really was because, I mean, number one, she just is like, she's like a wonderful person to talk to and, you know, somebody who I think we would all be like, yeah, totally. Let's grab a cup of coffee with you and and talk and hang out. But yeah, I mean, when you say ultra, ultra marathoner, like that is legit because she not only does your standard, you know, quote unquote standard 50 miler, 100 miler, multi-day stage races where she's carrying everything she needs with her for the entire time. She goes all over the world to do these in the most incredible conditions. And, you know, if you're somebody who who kind of just doesn't hang out with a lot of ultra runners, really what she does on a regular basis. It was really interesting to talk to her and learn more about what drives her, what keeps her going, how she gets past like the, the point of pain, the point of wanting to give up. I just, I was really inspired when I got done with this and um, not so inspired that I signed up for anything crazy and long, but you know, every time we talk to these people, it just plants a little extra seed. It does make you want to work a little harder, whatever you're doing, right? Whatever stage you're yeah. in, what you're doing. At one point, she says, and you're going to love this, Jen. She was she was in a race, and it was in the desert. And she was like, why do my feet hurt? And she looked down, and her sneakers were melting. Like, it was that hot where she was. And she got blisters on her feet from it. And she had to run a couple of days later after that. And she does. It's it's just, it's astonishing. So she's just so fascinating. And uh, I just loved this interview. See, when I thought that I like ran a marathon and I lost a toenail, like I thought that was legit. (laughs) You thought we were badass. It is. It (laughs) is though. But that's not, that's nothing compared to burning your sneakers, man. Like you're literally like, yeah, burning your foot. (laughs) And that's okay. So that is one of the things that we actually talk about a little bit with her is this whole, you know, I mean, ultra running is like the new marathon because it really used to be, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like the marathoners were the crazy ones, right? Like Mm -hmm. you knew just a handful, maybe 20 years, but that wasn't something that just everybody was doing. And now, you know, if you're in kind of a fitness realm at all, you know, people who are doing marathons, almost certain, you know, some long stuff. Um, so I just think it's really interesting to see her take on, we talked a little bit about more and more people getting into like the ultra, the sport, what that means for the competition. And, you know, she's, she's got some great insight on that too. And she also runs her own company. So like I said, Stoked Coffee, and we talked coffee talk with her, I guess you coffee talk. We had a little bit of talk about that. And she likes <laughs> a good hop cup of caffeine or even cold sometimes before she goes on a run out. It's kind of a relatively new thing for her. And I just wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about, you know, something you eat or drink before you work out or do you nothing? Do you do eat or drink nothing? I am. Okay. So like before I just go out and run or like work out, I don't. I really don't mess with it too much. Like it might be like half a cup of coffee. If I've had too much, then it's like, okay, high digestion. But that with like half a protein bar or like a full, pretty good for my stomach, but a race or an event, then it's more like full cup of coffee, get up early enough so you can poop. And then also um, I like to do like banana and peanut butter because it really is satiating. I feel like it like really fills me up. And then, you know, the banana has lots of energy and, and it tastes good. So that's important too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, if I'm doing um, just like an early morning regular workout, then I will maybe grab a banana, but I kind of go by my hunger. Usually I just make sure that I get a, a good glass of water in. And if it's something that I'm doing for like, you know, less than an hour, then I'm not usually too worried about it. But I'm also like, I'm not somebody who's crazy sensitive to my blood sugar dropping in a workout. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to an extent, of course, it slows me down and I'll feel kind of cruddy if that happens, but I'm not somebody who gets like lightheaded. Whereas I do know people who have that issue and you know, that's, that's a whole different ball game, but yeah, same thing for me, like before a race or something like that's a big, big deal. I do try to get up early and have enough time to like eat, eat a little something more than I normally would and digest it and, you know, make sure that it's not just sitting in the pit of my stomach. Um, And then if I'm doing something for longer, you know, if I'm going for an hour and a half or two hours or whatever, then I, I generally try to be pretty smart about, um, you know, either having some goose or blocks or figs on hand or, you know, even like peanut butter. Although I've got to say like this past weekend, I did, I did a long run, which I haven't been doing a ton of lately, but it was great. And then I had just enough time between that and a yoga class that I really wanted to go to where I wanted to eat something because I was starving. I'd run for like an hour, but I did, it was a hot yoga class. So I didn't want to eat too much because I didn't want that like, you know, coming up. Mm-mm. And yeah, I made some bad choices and there were a few kind of dicey moments there in the yoga. So I'm just going to say like, even when it's not a serious workout, maybe plan ahead better than I do because as delicious as a blueberry muffin is, it might not be the best like mid workout. <laughs> not before hot yoga though. No, no, no. Yeah. So hot. I... So hot. So burpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. Uh, for me, I, uh, for me, I like a, if I'm teaching in the morning, I really do like a good cup of coffee. It doesn't even be the full cup, but I just need to wake up and like Jen, I got to go poop and stuff like that. And then if I'm really hungry, maybe I'll have like a boiled egg or something. And if it's an afternoon or evening teaching, I like a banana like an hour before, half an hour, hour before. And that usually does the job for me. So we're all different, you know. The banana is kind of a constant, though. We all seem to like bananas. <laughs> bananas are awesome. What would you do without yeah. bananas? I don't know. My neighbor, like an apple, it's... you have the core. I don't know. I don't know. And it's really cool to see what works for everybody because I, um, I've been following a friend of mine who's training for her first marathon, and she's working with a coach, and she's been sharing some of the tips that she's learning because this is her first long-distance event. And, um, and her coach doesn't have her eating before like a 10K, which I think is really interesting because that is not, I, I would probably need a little something before that. Um, but it's really working well for her, even though she was questioning it as well. So I think it's, it's cool to like play around with what works for you and take note of how you feel. And, you know, it's, it's always smart to, if you're really getting serious, like talk to a coach, talk to a nutritionist who specializes in working with athletes you know, see if there's something else that you can try or something else you can do, because sometimes it's not like the amount, it's the, you know, the type of food that you get and how you digest it and how you feel. Absolutely. I also feel like it kind of matters what you eat the night before and for like the days leading up before. Like if Mm -hmm. I have a huge meal the night before, then I might wake up before kind of be like, eh, I just kind of need a couple bites of something just to get me through and that's it, but not like a lot. Where other times if I like had worked out the night before and then I'm getting up to something in the morning, I can wake up and be ravenous and be like, okay, I need to eat like half a frittata. (laughs) That works out okay. (laughs) If I eat a lot and late at night, I wake up in the morning starving for some reason. If I go to bed a little bit hungry, I wake up feeling normal. But if I go if I go to bed with like a full stomach, I, for some weird reason, I wake up hungry, which is not good. That is interesting. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? So anyway, so let's get into this interview today with, with Jax. And you guys, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get your podcast through Apple, iTunes, if you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the air. I am dangling that carrot to y'all. So please leave a review if you have a moment. And if you have any questions or comments, just send them to podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And now let's get into our interview with Jax. Remember, this show is sponsored by our fave all-natural deodorant line, Inspire Bath. In fact, for every bottle you purchase, they donate one to help build and empower women and girls at shelters and interim homes. 
Get yours and help give back at inspirebath.com. Jax Mariah is a 36-year-old world-class ultra runner and founder slash owner of Stoked Roasters, a premium organic coffee company, which was launched in 2014 and whose mission is to fuel the adventure in all of us with one epic sip. She is the first woman in the world to complete the Four Deserts Race Series Grand Slam Plus. In addition, she was crowned the 2016 Four Deserts Female World Champion. Previously, Jax chose to do a run mission to run 365 days in a row to create awareness for cancer research and inspire people to move their bodies to prevent disease. Jax is a runner, adventure seeker, entrepreneur, lover, dreamer, and doer. You could say she is one of those girls that doesn't really sit still, but she loves life so much and all that it has to offer that she just wants to enjoy every single bit of it 24-7. Welcome to the show, Jax. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is FBG Margot, and on the line today, we have FBG Kristen. Hey, hey. And I'm going to ask the first question. So, Jax, when you are not setting records as an ultra runner, you're running uh, like two businesses right now. So how do you find time to train? You know, do you have tools that you use to stay organized and on track? Like, how do you do it? Um, I actually do. There's this uh, app called Clear that works really well. And uh, it's an app that can be on all of your devices. And it's like a to-do list. But a lot of people say about me that I'm like, can't stop, won't stop. And I run this program daily of getting up around 4.45 a.m. And either uh, just having a coffee and working until the sun rises or depending on the time of year, just getting out for that first run. And then I just kind of go back and forth with either run then work, then um, grab snacks in between on the go. And then usually it's either a second run or strength training and then working until I pass out and doing it all over again. (laughs) That is intense. Yeah, it's nuts. And so, and like spending time with friends too is really important. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Because I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe you do have a lot of friends who go out on your runs with you. But at your level, I would imagine that the people who can keep up with you are probably kind of few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so funny is that through my athletic career, I I have like a, a group of friends that I run with, but Interestingly enough, most of my friends are not professional athletes and um, we're more like going and getting a beer and hanging out and they're like outdoor enthusiasts. So we're like hiking or doing something else together. But it has been interesting through my career that I tend to flock to a friendship circle that helps me actually have some balance with running. Oh, that makes good sense. Yeah. So let me... Let me ask, how how did you get started with ultra running? You know, I started running when I was five years old and did local 5Ks and 10Ks and things like that. And then um, did that through high school and then went on to uh, as a professional triathlete and do athlete for a little bit. And then um, went back to road racing and fell in love and followed a guy out to Hood River and In Boulder, Colorado, the running community was really stacked and there were so many different track clubs and road racing was really big. And then when I went to Hood River, it's more of like a kiting and windsurfing, mountain biking, road cycling community. And I think part of it's because running there is really hard. It's windy and hilly. And uh, so through my time period there, I was like trying to find motivation to get out and run. And I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to do an ultra. I'm just going to go and train for one. And it'll motivate me to check out all the trails in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, it'll motivate me to just even get on all the trails around town. And because I didn't really have a lot of running friends there because folks just didn't really do it. And so I ended up training for a 50K and got second place in it. And uh, I think from there, I was really hooked. And Then I started just going longer, and I think that's just typical of any ultramarathoner. They're like, okay, now I'll do a 50, now I'll do a 100. And somehow through trying to get enough points to participate in this ultramarathon in France called Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, I ended up stumbling across a stage race. 
and that's how the stage race uh, segment started. <laughs> so I kind of stumbled in the first one, very uh, um, not knowing what I was getting myself into. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So I have a follow-up question to that because, so you came into this and kind of stumbled into it, but you had a really strong running and athletic background. So like you knew how to train, you knew how to care for your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, cause I'm, I'm a runner, but like not a runner, like you're a runner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's really cool that like trail running and ultras are becoming maybe not mainstream, but they're certainly becoming a lot more popular. They are. But I wonder if you have any concerns about seeing more casual runners who are like, oh, yeah, I know somebody who did a 50 miler. I could do that and kind of showing Mm -hmm. up and maybe not knowing what they're getting into, but also not knowing how to even prepare for that. Yeah. You know, I think what's interesting, this probably even is uh, an example of what I went through in that first stage race is that you kind of don't know what you're getting yourself into and you may go in with that mindset of uh you know oh yeah my friends have done that I can do it what's interesting that when you get into ultras you're pushing your mind body and spirit so far that if you're not ready you most likely will probably either barely make it in that first one or you may drop out and uh, you may not make cutoff things like that and so that may be one area and ultras that helps people to just maybe have one where they're like, Oh wow, this is like totally different or, and they survive or maybe they, they get to the first or second checkpoint and they don't make cutoff and they're like, Oh wow, I need to learn how to train for something like this. And I feel like a lot of people that get into ultras, they do tend to seek like blogs or podcasts or communities, magazines, books, things like that to try to understand um, how you go to this next level. But I think in being a professional ultra runner, there is a lot as it's becoming more mainstream and it's growing really fast. How can we as professional athletes help in aiding, um, folks to really understand what it's all about. And stage racing is like a whole nother category that's extreme ultra running that folks may stumble upon. And that's starting to grow a lot too. And, more in the United States, a lot internationally. Cool. Can you also just talk a little bit about what stage racing is? Because I'm I'm a little familiar with it, but uh-huh. really only because I have a friend who just did one and it kicked her ass and she's one of the <laughs> toughest girls I know. So um, <laughs> it's really but I don't think hard. it's super common. So what a stage race is, um, in the, uh, it's a self-supported ultramarathon. And they're typically... Uh, six stages over seven days. Um, so, for example, in the Four Deserts Race Series that I did, um, you would be staged um, with, like, let's say about a, full, a marathon a day for the first four days. And then on the fifth day, you would run um, a long stage, which is usually 50 miles. And then you'd have a rest day and then um, a 10K to the finish. So some type of like mathematical combination like that over the seven days, totaling 150 miles. The one I'm doing in a month is actually 170 miles. And then the other trick about it is that you're carrying everything that you need to survive on your back. So food, safety equipment, sleeping supplies, um, and then any required gear that they're making you tow along. So everything that you need um, as a human being to get through that distance, you have to put on your back. And then usually with stage racing, it's like undulated terrain where there's no trail usually. Like they literally are just like taking flags and putting it across the desert and saying, go that way. So the terrain, again, is also just like a lot of times very impossible. And um, so then each day you start at the same time. And then you run to the next camp and then you stop and then you'll start again the next day. So um, that's how they kind of keep it organized. Um, And then (laughs) you, you sleep usually like in uh, Morocco, it was just like a tarp over our head. That was our so-called tent. And then, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's really hard. Um, it, It will test your mind, body and spirit like you've never imagined before. And you'll get thrown into adversity that you just never even thought was 
possible and um, dropout rates pretty high. And I think they're usually around like 20% or something like that. And uh, you're put in scenarios where you, you could die. So it really throws a curveball in what is adversity and what are true crises when you come home. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine it gives you a lot of perspective when you come home. Like, For I mean, sure. Do you have like a better temperament, you think, you know, now that you do this, can you put up with more? I, I, do, are you I more think tolerant? I can. What do you think? I definitely think that um, just even like looking at what I used to think was a crisis or what I used to freak out about, I just kind of chill out through now. So I'm definitely, I feel like calmer and just more like overall mellow, not as high strong. Um, and then I do, it's interesting because you have this perspective now of what's a crisis and what's not. And then it's actually interesting because it affects your friendships because you may have friends that just freak out about everything and like you may not relate as much to them anymore. Um, so it can almost change your perspective of those around you as well or in the work environment. Um, so it's, it's really interesting when you come back from those races and you've been off the grid too, for seven days, you have no communication at all. And so even just entering back into media, social media, uh, being on your phone, it all just is weird. Do you ever have like, do you have any nagging injuries that you're like dealing with? Because like these are such long distances and it's day after day. I mean, like, how do you handle injuries in this situation? That's a great question, actually. Um, I, when I was in China during the 2016 project, my shoes melted and um, I what? got blisters on the bottom of my Wait, feet. Yeah. Wait, what? Let's, let's hear more about this. <laughs> That was just so, like a blip. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is a problem. I'm like, yeah, so I almost died in China. I puked five times and didn't want the race crew to know. Yeah, so they have what's called, you know, the long march. So it was 130 degrees. And I was making history by being the second female um, to ever, um, to be in second place, I guess, that day. Um, so there was one guy ahead of me. And people were just suffering and I just kept like shuffling along and you're like barely running your heart rates like 150, which is totally crazy. And I puked a few times and I remember the race vehicle coming by and like, if you're like throwing up a lot, they could pull you out. And, um, so I'm like wiping my throw up off my mouth before they can see and they're like, you're making history. Are you okay? I'm like, oh yeah, totally, totally great. <laughs> and, um, and then I ran out of water between a couple of checkpoints. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, the bottom of my feet, like really are burning. And I looked at the bottom of my shoes and the bottom of the shoes had melted off. And so it was creating two little holes on my foot pads. So like every step you're on like 130 degrees sand and you're just like running along like, ow, 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 you know, and you just have to like ignore that you are thirsty, ignore that that's going on and almost play mind tricks on yourself. And I remember finishing that day and um, them like pulling off my socks and it hurt so bad. And there were these huge blisters on either foot. And I still had to run 10K two days later. And so we popped them. And then um, two days later, I had to run with the same shoes and the same socks and get through that 10K. And I'm like literally profusely crying at the finish. And they're like, Jax, why are you crying? You just won the female division by 11 and a half hours. And I'm like, I'm in pain. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's like, uh, I know I should send you guys a photo, but it's just like, literally, I mean, it's a suffer fest and somehow you, you just buck up and you just deal with the crisis and it's survival. <laughs> God, that's, I got blisters on my feet once from running on the beach here, not because it was like all that hot. I just did a little bit more and I was such a baby about it for like the <laughs> longest time. So so like mine you know foot pads came off and then I had 13 weeks until the next race and so I had to figure that out and so I kept taping them for a year and then um and now we're two years out and I still have this callus formation under my foot that will get 
if it gets hot, like from friction, it will start to hurt. And I'm like, seriously, like it's been two years. So I actually just went to the foot doctor because I have like the most aggressive reschedule coming up over the next eight weeks. And we figured out a way to put like a, a foot pad in the insole that will actually kind of like take the friction off that area of my foot for now and let those calluses like really not be messed with. <laughs> so so that's kind of interesting, you know, you, you deal with some stuff like that. And then, in, um, I think through that adventure in 2016, I did a bunch of races on top of that. And, um, I've been suffering from a little bit of a fatigue issue. Uh, so, so we're trying to get to the bottom of that now, um, because like blood results are perfect. Um, but there's this like underlying, like kind of chronic fatigue and, so I'm actually taking it as a challenge and a project with um, some supplement companies to really show like what can you do and put in your body to fight fatigue. Um, so I'm trying to just take a positive approach on it because it's been um, a, a different kind of a nagging issue uh, for the past year and a half and the reschedule ahead so scary that we're trying to really figure it out quick. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. That kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, because we know that the body doesn't really know the difference between like physical stress, you know, like what your body would experience during a, a hard workout or an ultra marathon or, you know, crazy long run. And then, you know, the emotional and mental stress that you experience when you're, you know, say running a business. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you handle that? Like, do you have a something outside of running that you go to for that like emotional and mental stress relief or how, how do you balance that? Or is it just, is it just kind of cool and you got it? Well, I think, um, something that's kind of funny is they do almost in tandem help each other out more, probably work stress. I, um, can go for a run and let it all go for a little bit. And so it's like, you know, you get out in wilderness and you're just checking out, no music, running along, and you can just like let it all go. And so in a weird way, running sometimes is that way to just check out. And then I meditate every day. And I think that helps a lot to just like get recentered and just kind of chill out. But it's, you definitely have to have tools like that because otherwise, there's just way too much going on between all the businesses and coffee shops and, um, you know, sponsor stuff and everything. It can, it can be really overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. So talking about coffee, I think something you and I have in common is we both have a passion for coffee and had it at a very young age. I think it was like 11 or 12. <laughs> I started having it every, and I have it every single day, no matter what. <laughs> so what do you love most about coffee? I have a couple of questions. What do you love most about coffee? How do you take your coffee? And please answer this question for me. This is very important. Do you keep your grounds in the fridge or in the freezer? Go. Okay, so I love, coffee is kind of how I kickstart my day. And I think it has been since I was really little. And whether that's just having a nice cup while I'm starting to get into emails or it's this excuse to actually just go have a cup with a friend. Um, And that piece of community, I think, is really important. Um, And so I'd say that's my biggest passion with coffee. And then um, I take my coffee. I have a Quad Americano. Um, I have a commercial espresso machine at home. Mm So my roommate lucks out, and um, so we basically have, like, Americano party every morning, and um, I'm actually sipping on it right now, and then um, I forget what your last question was, uh, the most important. Do you, so, do you store in uh, the fridge or the freezer? I've heard what was both. your last question? Uh, do you, can you hear me? Whether you keep your grounds in the fridge oh. or the freezer. Um, so you should keep it in neither. What? Um, so oh. yeah, so freezer, fridge, all that is um, uh, kind of a myth. And so to keep your grounds fresh, I would actually keep them whole bean until you're ready to grind them, and use um, air, um, an airtight container. So the biggest thing with keeping coffee fresh is air becomes the enemy. So 
Airscape actually is a really great company. We sell their um, their containers at Stoked, and uh, it just allows you to keep pressing out all the air, um, and then just keep that on your in your cupboard or on your kitchen counter. Um, so there isn't really any benefit to fridge or freezer. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, thank you. You just gotta get enough to drink it for the week, and then get more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you use coffee as, um, like in your training or in races at all? Do you, are you a believer in like having a cup before you run? Do you have some after what, how do you feel about that? So, uh, for me, I tend to have a double shot Americano each morning before I get out of my run. And it just gives me that like little pep in my step. And that's been something that's totally new and a motivator for me to get out of bed because um, I've been like a little bit more tired. Um, so it's kind of like it gets me out. I throw that Americano down and then um, it helps me on the trails. And then I tend to, I'm not like really big with like caffeinated products, I guess, like when I'm racing or anything. So it's more just been like a, a morning thing. I have a sponsor called Vogue Tab actually, and they have little natural tabs that you take that is almost like a cup of coffee. So I tend to, I'll have that in like the nighttime in races, like a hundred mile race if it's dark. But other than that, um, it's really just to get me out of bed. Well, I know that nutrition is also a really important part of your training. Um, so are there kind of like superfoods you always make sure to have on hand when you're training and competing? Yeah, it's funny that you asked that because I've been getting more and more into that as a, a portion of figuring out the fatigue issue that I'm going through. Um, so HANA, HANA 1 is a is botanical superfood supplement that I've been throwing in smoothies. And we're doing a project actually of seeing how it feels to take it every day and off of not doing it. Then I have like a lot of superfoods in like powder format that I'll throw in smoothies like um goji goji fruit maca powder you know all those different superfoods that you can just throw a teaspoon here and there like ash i'm probably gonna botch this but ashwanda is um an incan superfood that's really good um so it's there's so many different supplements out there that you can just like take five minutes and toss it in a smoothie and I'm already in one week feeling actually all these benefits. So I've always kind of been with nutrition, like I eat whatever I want and I'm kind of a meat and potatoes kind of eater. But all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I'm in an experiment and like really see like what is all the hype about superfoods and how does it actually help your body out? And um, for me, it's like not so much that like I'm fighting to get like leaner. It's like, I want to feel better. And it's already in a week making a significant difference to, um, to dive into all of these different superfoods and, and see the benefit where it's not just calorie intake and outtake. It's, you can get pretty scientific and it could really help performance in life and in sport. So there is a lot of cool gear out there um, for trail <laughs> ultra runners. So I'm wondering if you have like certain items that you just won't head out for a long run without. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, is there anything that you see people getting like all jazzed about that you think is just like super unnecessary? Because I know you want to you want to have what you need, but you really only want to have what you need what you need because you right. got to carry it. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because in the world of stage racing, uh, you're thinking about every gram. Like I always compare it to when I was a triathlete, I felt like the personality of a triathlete, like very A-type, we're a little bit OCD and we're like nitpicking apart our bike to make it super light. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing with like stage racing in particular, where you literally are nitpicking everything that's going to go into that pack. Like you're cutting down your toothbrush, like you're cutting off straps of the backpack, like literally every gram you are meticulously thinking about how to get rid of it. So um, that you can make it around seven kilos to start, which I think is like 15 pounds or so. Um, so 
I mean, right away, like even the pack that you're doing is important and needs to be light. So um, I'm actually working with Camelback right now on a prototype pack for stage racing specifically. And so we're really, really excited about that. And like the weight that you're trying to get at that is like 270 grams. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Like when you look at the stage race world, like you're not, you really are thinking about weight. So like my breakfast is Oreos and Stow Coffee and um, because we have an instant coffee called Stoke Six, and then um, some coconut shavings. And like, I would never wake up at home and have Oreos for breakfast. (laughs) So it's kind of, it's weird. It's kind of different. So even like freeze-dried food, you're looking at um, Expedition Foods is a really good one. Um, And I tend to have mac and cheese every single night. Um, And it's like 800 calories for 160 grams. Um, So I think out there it's, gear is a little bit different where it just matters like how light is your stuff and people will totally nerd out on it. Um, but I think like in the world of like single day stage racing, you get really picky or, or single day running. Um, like I'm training for a hundred mile race right now. I'm doing Leadville trail 100. Oh, and awesome. it, so there it's like my, um, my pack is really important to be really little and light and, um, just carry just enough to get through aid stations and stuff it again. So like pack fit is really important and, um, and then shoes is a, a big thing. It's all about preference. Um, but, uh, I, um, wear La Sportiva shoes and so I think that's a really big one. And then I think in the world of single day ultras, it gets down to like what poles are the best and things like that. So I'm doing ultra trail Mont Blanc actually two weeks after Leadville, which is totally crazy. And, um, there it's like, do I really have the best poles? So I'm like looking at blogs and things like that right now, trying to figure out that piece that I've never really had to think about before. So let me ask you when you're not running or working on your businesses, I mean, what are you doing with yourself? What do you do with your downtime? Do you have downtime? Um, I, when the reschedule starts to get really tight, I don't have as much downtime. So like right now, literally it's just like run, work, eat, right, sleep, strength, train, meditate. It's really intense. Um, but I still like, for me, it's, I'm a social bug and I just really love spending time with my friends. And so I think the first thing that I tend to do is just, um, I even try to fit it in where I'm like, well, I have to eat anyway, so I'm going to go snag a friend for lunch. Um, so having those relationships is is really important for me and making time for my friends and having those reciprocal friendships is means a world to me. Um, so I think I, I try a lot with that. Um, like behind the scenes, I ended up actually going through a divorce at the same time that I was racing around the world. And so my four deserts family became my uh, core family and it showed me how important friendships are to help you through so much. Um, So I think I really, really value that. You were talking earlier about um, how maybe your kind of type A triathlete mindset might be a bit of a help in the stage race world. But I'm wondering, I I was reading an ESPNW article um, that was about you and a couple of other elite runners. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the quotes was, the same skill set that allowed them to become elite runners translates well to entrepreneurship. So I'm wondering, do you, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, Mm -hmm. is that because of the type A mindset or is there something else in that skill set that you that you women share um, that does translate so well to starting and running and owning a business? I think it's twofold. I think it's a type A mindset. And then also it's most of the time, if you're a professional athlete now, let's say in our thirties, we grew up probably either doing that same sport or a different sport. And I think that there's something that's really unique about athletes that relates to business. Um, like, so for example, like one of my friends, he, um, was like a pro triathlete and didn't even finish college. And now he's like the number one sales guy for Hilton grand vacations. And, um, they picked him because he was an athlete. And I think what happens is that when you're an 
athlete and you grow up that way, and let's say you've been on the elite level for a lot of your life, you have to develop time management skills and you have to goal set and you have to build a training program and you have to stick to it and you have to be disciplined. And so you develop all these, like this kind of toolkit that helps you to become a successful athlete. And really it's the exact same toolkit that you're going to use to be a successful entrepreneur. So I think that that's part of it. And then in tandem with that, I think that there's certain characteristics of being an entrepreneur that are like being an athlete. Like you have to uh, be nimble. You can't be, you can't be afraid to fail. You have to be independent and strong. And so there's like these characteristics that um, I think double on both sides that make it like plug and play a little bit. And so I think that's why a lot of times when you see folks that are maybe CEOs or they're like heads of companies or they're like killing it in business, a lot of times if you look back at their history, they may have been like on college athletics or maybe they were a professional athlete and just retired or um, I think a lot of times there is this tie there because of how they were almost trained when they were younger. And it's almost more important than your college classes. Well, that's an interesting you know, correlation that you make there, like having that athletic pass. I mean, what if you're somebody that's kind of new to athletics, you're just, you know, just in the last few years, and you want to become an entrepreneur, like you're fitness minded, and you want to run your own gig, what's your best advice for that? I almost feel like you could just do twofold. And it's developing the, those same tools will help you in either. So it's like how you set up your day. It's almost like you make your life schedule and you make your reschedule. And even if it's like a 5k and they'll both almost because of like the behavior that you use for both. I mean, one's lacing up and getting out the door and the other one's like getting on your computer and jamming through emails or something. You're that, that skill set's the same. And, um, so I think that that will really help someone where one will almost like help the other and then they just keep plugging along and adding more and I mean the biggest thing with entrepreneurship I think is that you uh, you'll find entrepreneurs and you'll find entrepreneurs <laughs> and the biggest thing with entrepreneurship is this like diehard gung-ho I'm gonna work a zillion hours and I may fail a lot but I'm gonna get back up again um, mindset and it's those core pieces that are gonna help you to be able to be an entrepreneur and it's almost the same for athletics. You may try to do an interval this day and get halfway, but you just got to get up and do it again and you can't be afraid about it or you'll fail. Yeah. So kind of tagging onto that, you know, we're talking about people who are maybe new to athletics, just getting started. What are your thoughts on if somebody is listening to this or maybe has, has been seeing their friends signing up for ultras and they're like, yeah, I want to do that. Do you think that that this is a sport that is for anybody who wants to do it? I really do. Um, the thing that's really cool about ultras is like right away, like you look at that distance and you're like, oh my God, it's like how do people run 50 miles? You know, and maybe they've done a marathon, maybe not. Um, and I really think it's good if someone's going to dab into ultras that they do start with like marathon and just slowly go up. Um, otherwise I think it really is extremely intimidating, uh, but it's not impossible. Um, the thing that's cool about ultras is that the terrain is mostly and traditionally on trail. And the weird thing is that it's also on trail and you're also going to go probably over mountains. Um, and so there's a lot of vertical gain usually compared to, let's say, like a road race. But what that means, too, is that you're going to be hiking and you're going to be going slower. And so part of that, when you think of the longer distance, is like, oh, well, at the same time that it's longer, people go slower. And like there is even in stage racing, there are some people that hike the whole thing. And so it's almost like you can just know going in like I'm gonna go slow and steady and like really ease into this and not put any pressure on yourself and then 
I think just really see how that first one goes and see if you like it. And then from there, you can kind of build goals around it. But I think that is something that's different. It's like if I was like, hey, I'm going to go do a, my first 10K, I bet like over a 12-week program, I could even put a goal around it of like how fast I want to go and like be a little bit more strategic and aggressive about it. Where I feel like in ultras, you really need to go and be super calm and just really take the first one as an educational experience of what is this stuff about. And, um, and that's better for your body anyway. And then from there you can start to build real hefty goals around it. And, and then, so I think you, it's like a slower approach. If that makes any sense. It totally does. And you actually just, um, like, I've sort of felt that way because I think that the idea of doing like a 50 K trail to me is far more appealing than doing a road marathon, like yeah. just a hundred times more appealing. And it's growing a lot more too. Like yeah. folks are like, we saw the marathon rage happen and it was like, and we saw when people were like, Oh my God, marathons far. Like I remember when I was in, um, I did marathons before I did uh triathlons professionally and it was like, you can do like two a year or something. And I'm like, whoa, that's like a lot. And now I use them as training races, which is totally crazy. And I'm like, I think last year I did four or something. And I did five 50 mile races. Like it was totally nuts. And yeah. so I think that it's, um, and that's just as we've seen how human beings can like test that limit. And more and more people are like, a marathon is just like whatever, you know, now it's like 50 K's and more people want it to be more adventurous and get out on trail and trail running as a whole, I think is growing more. Um, but what freaks me out is that I'm doing, um, hundred mile race, two weeks off, hundred mile race, three weeks off stage race. So that's like, that's just kind of nuts. Like that's not normal. And now you look at the only thing that helps me to stay a little bit normal is one of my friends is doing three 200 mile races. Holy. Oh my so, God. So it's like called, um, I forget what they call it. It's like the triple crown or something. And it's, uh, there's a Moab 240. Um, so 240 miles. And then there's a race before that a race before that. So it's like each month for three months in a row, my buddy is like doing all three. And I'm like, that's the only thing that keeps me like somehow my crazy meter. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. I'm doing a hundred mile, two weeks, hundred mile, two weeks, DJ race, no problem. And so I don't know, like all of a sudden it's like, is hundred miles not enough? Like now we're doing 200, like now we're doing 240. Like I don't even, and somebody wants to create a 500 mile race. So now I'm like, okay, where's the threshold? You know, like where let's like, let's bring it back down like I don't want to I don't want to have to like be subject to go that far <laughs> and I, I think you find your independent threshold but also like as like a running community it's like okay <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> sit <her> down <laughs> well, is there anything else out there that you want to try other than running do you have any other fitness goals yeah, I mean, so that's something that's really interesting, I think, about me, and it's been seen, too, in my athletic career. Um, I remember one time uh, I did this, like, article about burnout, and um, I was reading the article about my own self, and I was like, oh, wow, I, like, jump around. Like, because I did, you know, running, and I went to triathlon, and I went back to running, and sometimes I'm like, should I do, like, biathlon or pentathlon or, like... So I think that I am a little bit different in my athletic world that I have like a few things left on my bucket list that I really want to accomplish. Like one is I want to be the first woman to race a self-supported stage race in every continent because I feel like everyone's done an ultra or everyone's done a marathon. So I want to create this new notch. And then there's certain single day 100 mile races that I really want to do. And that's why... I'm doing Leadville and UTMB two weeks apart. Um, but beyond that, I think there's like by 2019, I'll have accomplished all my bucket list items in the 100 mile stage race world, maybe 2020. And then I think I want to, I do want to find something else because I think that's important. Like, I think it's important for your identity and for your 
well-being and mind, body, and spirit to, um, to kind of explore different things. And, um, I've gotten a little bit into ski mountaineering, which is super fun. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think a human should explore and tap into different stuff and then go and be really bad at it at first and, and climb back up again and see what you can do. I think it's good for your, your mind and for your soul. I love that. All right, Jax. So tell us or tell our our listeners rather, where can we all find you on social media? If we want to follow along with all of your incredible adventures. So the best place is Instagram at Jax Mariash. And then um, I'll usually post uh, my stage racing blogs uh, on wonderwomanjax.com. So those are kind of fun for readers to um, see what it's it's like out there. Um, so I'll always post, I think, for the whole Grand Slam Plus journey I did every day. Uh, so that's a fun spot, too. And where can they get your coffee? Stokedroasters.com. So we ship online worldwide. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, we're all about getting you to have a nice cup of coffee and get outside. Excellent. So we do have actually one more question, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay, great. This is our favorite question. We ask everybody this question. It's the last question for every show. Jax, what was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry. Nice. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I was like, wait, what was I listening to in my car? Because that was the last time I had music on. <laughs> Which is so funny because I've been so scared about not getting this uh, passport that I've been like, okay, I can't have music on until the UPS guy comes. Because <laughs> usually, like, my friends are like, wow, you always have music playing. And I'm like, I know, it's so great. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> awesome. I was just saying, Jax, you have the best laugh. Oh, thank you. I love it. <laughs> I get it from my dad. He laughs and then I laugh and then we just laugh because we're laughing and we think each other's laughs are so funny. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was it was so educational and, and you are such an inspiration and a badass. Well, thank you. Super fun chatting. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.